0: This podcast is brought to you by Schweitzer Church. If you want to learn more about us, please visit any of the links in the description. And now, please enjoy the message. Hey, welcome today my name is spencer i'm so glad that you've joined us we are starting a new series today called the truth about lies For the next six weeks we're going to be going through this uh this new series and i just want to give you a fair warning because this is going to be a little bit different than normal we're going to be talking about some things that are a bit deeper and and maybe even some things that are a little bit more uncomfortable um, we're going to explore the some ideas around deception and our battle for truth. We're going to talk about uh, Satan and demons, and we're going to talk about what some traditions call spiritual warfare. So because this is a different kind of series than we normally do, talking about some different things we normally do, I want to offer you some resources that, uh, that would probably be helpful if you wanted to dig deeper at any of the things that we explore. So first of all, um, I offer to you an incredible book, um, The Truth About Lies, The Lies About Truth by David Tackle. Obviously, I'm borrowing some of that title for our series because I loved it so much. This is not a book you will find on any bestseller list, but this is um, very influential to my own thinking. I discovered this sometime last year, and it was uh, one of the best books I'd never heard of before as I stumbled upon it. And so I, I offer that to you, incredible book about how we live in truth um, versus the constant deception that is all around us. Another book that you might want to pick up, uh, I think this is like a must read for Christians, is C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. It's short. The chapters are short. It's an easy read. It's a fun read. It's incredibly thought-provoking. It's a satire written by C.S. Lewis, so if all you know about him is the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, there's so much more to his writing. Uh, the Screwtape Letters is a series of letters written in the voice of a demon to another demon so it's really fascinating to read it's just kind of how as a uh, this demon is mentoring this younger demon about how to wreck someone's life incredible book it's f- clever it's funny it's thought provoking i just i can't recommend it enough you might want to pick that up so um here's where we're going to the series here's the premise of the series there is a battle within each of us and all of us collectively for truth. We see this um, battle all the time. Um, in our day and age this battle is front and center. We see this in the world around us. People talk these days about things like situational ethics, moral relativism. These are phrases people use. We use platitudes like live your truth and be true to yourself. Uh, truth has become individualistic, personal, subjective, up to interpretation. And then we read the news and you come across phrases in the news like misinformation, disinformation, alternative facts. There is a battle for truth that is within each of us and all of us um, collectively. So I've come to believe lately that this battle for truth may be the thing that separates our culture from the church because as christians we believe that there is a thing such as truth that truth is 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 true that there is something that is absolutely true whether we agree on it or we don't whether it it affirms what we already think or it doesn't, whether it makes us uncomfortable or whether we're comfortable with it. There is something that is always true, whether it lines up with our politics or our ideology or it doesn't. There is truth that is true regardless of what we think about this. And, And we believe that as Christians, that this truth is set by the creator revealed to us in Jesus, his son. And this is true. This is, this is the Christian claim. And so, and so saying that, let me just like pose an idea to you that maybe, just maybe, this battle for truth that we see all around us, maybe it's a spiritual thing. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Genesis chapter 3 is a pivotal chapter in the Bible. We often call this chapter um, the fall, as in it's the fall of humans, and before this chapter life and all of creation is being lived in perfection as God intended it in the Garden of Eden. Um, But after this chapter comes all of the dysfunction and the destruction that we see in the world around us. Pivotal, pivotal chapter. So we're going to read the first few verses of this chapter, and as we read through this, I want you to pay attention to the cause of the fall that causes the destruction and dysfunction in the world. Here's how it goes. This is Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty, or you could say cunning or shrewd or scheming than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. This is a reference, by the way, to a command in Genesis 2, where it's God set apart one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, um, as off limits. But you can see the twisting of the command here. Did God really say you cannot eat of any tree in the garden? Verse 2 The woman said to the serpent, We can eat from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, that is that the tree that's off limits, and you must not eat it, or you will die. And she twist that a little bit as well. Verse four, listen to this. You'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So each week in the series, what we're gonna do is we're gonna come back to Genesis chapter three, and we're gonna pick apart this conversation between the woman and the snake and lift up these phrases here. um, They're they're so interesting. And as you start to think about what these mean, there's so many layers behind what the snake is saying. Verse six, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and made coverings for themselves. Now the chapter goes on for for many more verses and tells the consequences of their rebellion. Um, there is a curse that takes place, and it puts distance between the people and God, between the people, the the man and the woman, a, a, a distance between uh, humans and creation, and and all of this. Um, this, this rebellion that starts in Genesis 3, biblical thinking is to trace all of the destruction and dysfunction and death and disease in the world today back to this decision um, to rebel against God's commands, back to the eating of the, uh, the fruit in the garden, which is why we call this the fall. But at the center of this rebellion is deception. I mean, it's really clear, we see this. The, the root of their sin, the root of their decision to, to disobey is deception. And this is a truth we often overlook because, because we don't tend to connect our own struggle with sin to deception. But let's just do like a little thought experiment here and let's like speculate a little bit about what life was like in the garden for Adam and Eve. So you know Adam and Eve are in the garden and we have no idea how long they've been there. Like the Bible is silent. They they've Let's just assume, let's like do some speculating here. They've been they've been in the garden for a long time. I mean it could be years, could be Centuries, it could be millennia, it could be millions of years. We have no idea. The Bible is silent. Let's just assume they've been in the Bible in the, in the garden for a long, long time, and let's also assume that you know the garden is not that big, so they come across this tree on a on a fairly regular basis. I mean, they know about it when the snake says, "Did God really say you cannot eat from that tree in the middle?" You know, they didn't say uh, which tree exactly is that. No, they they knew exactly what he was talking about. So let's assume that they've been there for a long, long time, and let's assume that. They come across that tree on a regular basis. But up until today, they've never been tempted to disobey the command that God gives them. Now, at this point in the story, Adam and Eve, they don't have what later generations of Christians will call a a sin nature. And that's our our inborn tendency to to sin and, and our inborn tendency for selfishness and But on this day, for whatever reason, they're they're drawn towards rebellion. So why? What changed on this day? It wasn't because of their sin nature. It wasn't because they've been desiring it and their flesh craves it. No, the only reason is that they are deceived. And they're, they're capable of being deceived even before they have, again, what Christians will call a sin nature. They're they're open, they're susceptible to this deception. And so as the Bible traces all of the death and destruction of the world back to Genesis 3, it also traces the decision to sin back to deception. And that is a chilling observation because what it it means is that, that it doesn't matter how spiritual or moral we may be. After all, Adam and Eve were living life as God intended it in spiritual and moral perfection. And yet all of us are susceptible, susceptible to deception, to lies. And that deception is not benign. It will destroy us. So Genesis 3 makes it clear that this deception, it doesn't come out of the blue. It's not just something, some thought that randomly entered their heads. But rather this deception comes about from that crafty snake, otherwise known as the devil. Now, <laughs> I know that talking about the devil can be really uncomfortable, I get it. I mean, I, I, I get it, the devil's one of those things that a lot of us scoff at and we think to ourselves, really, are we are we really talking about this? For some of us, we have like, ridiculous images that come to mind when we think about the devil, like the old Disney cartoons with the angel and devil on each shoulder. Or maybe we think about red tights and a pitchfork. Or if you're my age, you might think of a classic sketch on SNL with Will Ferrell and Garth Brooks. This is the kinds of things that come to mind. They're ridiculous and they make us kind of scoff at the whole idea um, about the devil. And yet the Bible takes the devil very, very seriously. And we see the Bible talk about the devil in lots and lots of different places. So it's hard to take the Bible seriously if we don't take the devil seriously. Now in the Bible, this word devil that I'm using here is not a name, it's a, it's a title and it means accuser. The Hebrew word Satan, also not a name, it means um, accuser as well. So it really should be said the Satan, not Satan as if it's a name. In fact. We see um, throughout the Bible that the Bible never gives the devil a name. It's always um, a title that's given. So you have things like the tempter, the destroyer, the great dragon, the thief, the serpent, even the word Lucifer that some people think is the devil's name is not. It comes from a a Greek translation of an Old Testament verse in the book of Isaiah. It's a a title as well. And there are these, these ideas out there, kind of theories about why does the Bible never name the devil? One theory is that that the writers of the Bible never name the devil, just give him titles, because it's one of those like you don't want to name the evil that's around us. It's one of those like uh, he who shall not be named kind of thing. Another theory that I, I tend to think is is more accurate would be um, that that the writers of the Bible are, are throwing shade at this creature, and they're like we you don't even deserve to be named um, because of of who you are. But as modern people, I know that talking about the devil, you know, it makes us uncomfortable. We scoff at it, and we think to ourselves, are we are we really talking about the devil today? I mean, you might be thinking to yourself, Spencer, I mean, you're a smart guy. Are you really trying to say that we should believe that there is a devil? Well, first of all, thank you for saying that I'm a smart guy. But, but second of all, as we think about this, I mean, you were thinking, are, you know, are, we, are we really preaching a sermon about the devil? Well, n- well, no, I'm not preaching a sermon about the devil today. I'm actually preaching six sermons about the devil because it's a six-part series. But this is what we see throughout the Bible is that there is this, this creature out here. And if, it's, if this is a difficult concept for you, I wanna just encourage you to have an open mind and I wanna point like one thing out to you. Um, Jesus believed in the devil. I mean, Jesus taught about the devil. And one of the things that Jesus taught about the devil was that the devil is a deceiver. That's one of the primary things that Jesus taught about the devil. Let's go read some things that Jesus himself said about this. So let's go to John chapter eight. and let's read something that Jesus says about the devil. This is the, the, the middle chapters of the Gospel of John are all about controversy and what people think about Jesus. And so we're going to pick up in some of that kind of thinking as we read through this. But but listen to what um, how this conversation goes and what Jesus himself says about the reality of the devil. So this is chapter 8, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Classic, famous, famous, famous lines. We're going to keep reading through here, but I just want you to see that right off the bat, the ministry of Jesus is one of truth. It's one of truth. This implies then that according to Jesus, that there is going to be a battle in our lives between truth and lies. So let's keep reading. Verse thirty-three. They answered him. Hold on a second. They're like, hold on a second. Set free. What What are you talking about? Set free. We are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Have you um, ever heard the term revisionist history? Well, this is it right here. Um, Never been slaves. So there's a major storyline in the Old Testament about how the people of Israel were, in fact, slaves in Egypt. Verse 34, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's Jesus for wrong answer. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father which is an interesting thing to say, and it raises the question, I wonder who their father is. Verse 39, Abraham is our father, they answered. Well, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? He believed. Well, as it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. No, because he believed God. Verse 41, yet you are doing the works of your own father. Again, we're left to wonder who is their father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. You can tell they're getting frustrated here. Probably that's also a dig about rumors that circulated around Jesus' own parentage. The only father we have is God himself, which is actually true of Jesus. So Jesus said to them, verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I've not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father. So who is their father? Here it is, ready? You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's decisions. Desires, I'm sorry. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. What a fascinating conversation that takes place here. There are a couple things I want you to notice. First, within the ministry of Jesus, he himself talks about a battle between truth and deception. And second, I want you to notice this, just like in Genesis 3, Jesus places the cause of deception at the feet of the devil. In fact, in John 8, Jesus will describe the devil in seven different ways. I wanna list those for you just so you can see the seven different ways that Jesus describes the devil. Here they are, ready? He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, no truth in him. He lies. Lies are his native language. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. Seven different ways to make the same point. The devil is a liar and he lies to you. Now the devil's lies are destructive and they are also subtle. They are the kinds of lies that are almost impossible to see because that's the truth about a good lie is a good lie is hard to see. And that's the thing about being deceived is you don't know you're being deceived. That's why it is so dangerous is you can never or you can hardly ever see this within yourself. At the top of the sermon, I mentioned uh, a great resource you might want to look at called the Screwtape Letters. An incredible book is written in the voice of a demon to another demon, uh, mentoring this demon, how to wreck someone's life. And one of the pieces of advice that the older demon gives to the younger demon is to be subtle. It doesn't matter how small the sins are, but make them cumulative so that they slowly lead someone away from, away from Christ. And so listen to this advice written by C.S. Lewis in the voice of a demon. Here's what um, Lewis writes. He will say, quote, You will say, but these are very small sins. That's the advice from the demon. Just do small things. And doubtless, like all young tempters, you're anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. The enemy here is Christ, because this is written in the voice of a demon. It goes on and says, It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick and then listen to this last line this is so wise indeed the safest road to hell is the gradual one the gentle slope soft underfoot without sudden turnings without milestones without signposts subtle and destructive lies. And because lies of the devil are so subtle and they're so hard to see and deception is so difficult to discern, there is this warning throughout the New Testament to be on our guard against deception. Listen to some of the warnings. Matthew 24, Jesus said this, watch out that no one deceives you. Matthew 24, again, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Romans 7, for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment, put me to death. 1 Corinthians 6, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 11, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Galatians 6, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Ephesians 5, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Colossians 2, I tell you this, that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. 2 Timothy 3, Evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worst, deceiving and being deceived. Titus 3, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. James 1, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters." Over and over and over and over again in the New Testament is this warning, do not be deceived, be on your guard, be diligent, pay attention. And and if it's not deception that we're reading about, the New Testament talks about things like false teachers and false prophets and false messiahs. Why? Why all of this emphasis in the New Testament about this warning here is, well, because all of us are susceptible to deception And deception destroys us. And yet, the ministry of Jesus is one of truth. That's what he said, John 8. Jesus came to set us free, set us free by knowing the truth. I mean, I think it's telling that when Jesus came to save us, he didn't come as a warrior or a politician or some business tycoon. No, he came as a truth teller, as a teacher. Of course he did, because he came to show us the truth. I mean, this is what Jesus said. If you're, if you're his disciple, you'll know the truth. truth will set you free. And if you read John 8 in context, he's talking about this battle for truth and deception in context to the slavery of sin. And so when Jesus is talking, our slavery to sin is not just because our flesh desires certain things, but, but rather on an even deeper level, because we have a battle within us between truth and lies lies and deception will also hold you in slavery to sin this battle between us will will lead to all kinds of slavery to dysfunction and destruction and all kinds of conflict and turmoil that will come because of our own deception a christian psychiatrist really well-known author um, m scott peck once wrote this he said all pathology is a denial of reality his use of the word pathology here, he's talking about the dysfunctions that we have in life. He's a psychiatrist and he's writing about psychiatric kinds of things. He's writing about the conflicts and the problems we have. It's a denial of reality. And so as you, as you sit with that for just a second, he, he's, he's arguing that, that our dysfunctions come about and originate from the denial of truth. So let's just chase that for just a second. Let me, let's, let's look at that in action. So let's, let's say that i've come to believe a lie about myself. And let's just, you know, pick something that we could pick. So for instance, i've come to believe a lie that i'm unlovable. That's a that's a pretty common lie that lots of lots of people come to believe, not maybe consciously, again because deception is subtle. We don't you not say that out loud, but it's something that we come to think about ourselves that that i'm unlovable. And maybe i come to believe that for a few different reasons. Maybe i i came to believe this because i um i something happened to me and someone did something to me that that I just now think that I'm unlovable, or maybe it's because I did something—something something so bad I can't—I just can't get past it, and and so I've I've come to believe this lie that I'm that I'm unlovable. Well, over time, it's not just that I come to think this lie that I'm unlovable; it's that I come to start living it. I start to live in relationships as an unlovable person. So. I start to let people walk all over me because otherwise, why would I ever have the worth to stand up for myself? And so I live in an unlovable kind of relationship or or I start to, to live in, in kinds of other ways that are, that are self-destructible. So I become unlovable to others through my own choices of self-destruction and, and problems that I live upon myself. And I, I start to push people away. And so by denying the truth, that I am a beloved child of God with inherent dignity and worth. I come instead to believe a lie that I'm unlovable with all kinds of destruction and dysfunction that follows it. So that these lies are not just things that we come to think. It's it's the ways that we come uh, to live. So about this time last year, I started to, to spend a lot of time uh, thinking about thinking. I, I started to, to spend some time thinking about like, how do, we, how do we think about the things that we think about? Like, where do the thoughts come from and how do we have these? And philosophers call this kind of idea epistemology. Like, how do you understand the world and, and come to terms with it? How do we think about what we think? And, and the more time I spent with the Bible and was exploring this, I was struck by the pervasiveness of deception and, and the, and the very real battle for truth. And so I came to this realization that, that if the Bible spends so much time on this question of deception and truth, then this isn't somebody else's battle. This is my battle. Because all of us are susceptible to deception. That's, it's so easy to see deception in other people. I mean, it's easy to point out how their self-destruction or their problems or dysfunctions are caused because they've come to believe something. It's so much harder to see this within myself. So over the last year, I've I've begun to ask myself a very basic, basic, basic question, born off of this observation of this battle for deception and truth. And so the question I've been asking is not, um, "Am I deceived?" The question is rather that I've been asking is, "How am I deceived?" In what ways am I deceived? Because as the Bible spends so much time on this, I have to come to the understanding that this is a real struggle for me just as much as it is for anyone else. So I'm just going to make the assumption that there are lies that I've come to believe about myself, about the world, and about God. Now as I've, I've gone through this I've, I've, I've discovered that I, I can start to trace some of the problems that I have in my life to some of these deceptions and some of these things that I've come to believe and I can start to counter them with truth. And so uh, as we go through the series we're going to we're going to talk and unpack and explore the conversation between the woman and the snake and we're going to lift up some very specific things that the snake brings up and as we do this and unpack them and, and explore them we're going to find some very common and predictable deceptions that all of us struggle with. I mean, you'll see your life um, as we go through this, this, uh, this conversation between the woman and the snake, because these are common and predictable deceptions that all of us come to believe. But but as I've, I've gone through this and we're going to walk through this series, I, one of the tools that I've started to ask for myself, and I'll offer this to you as well, is I, as I want to see my own self more truthfully and live in the truth that God has for me, is I have to come to the terms that Deception is something that I myself am going to struggle with just as much as anyone else. And so therefore, we should ask ourselves, you know, what ways have we been deceived? And one of the ways to do this is to look at the various dysfunctions we have in our life, we might call it sin, and begin to trace that back to ask myself, do I struggle with that thing because of deception? So as you think about your life, you think about your dysfunctions, you think about your problems, you think about your temptations, you think about your sin, as you think about your conflict with others, you think about your bitterness, you think about your fear, you think about your anger, you think about how you overspend or overeat or how you cope with addictions which by the way all of us have addictions as you think about those things in life, those things that you want to change about yourself, those things that you wish were different, as we start to trace those down, one of the things to be thinking about is Do those struggles represent a deception that I've come to believe about myself, about the world, or about God? Likely, there is one who's out there very subtly trying to convince me to believe lies about myself, about the world, and about God. And those deceptions are going to come in a very destructive and subtle kind of way. But as Christians, we know that there is a thing that is true. And that this truth will actually set us free. And that this truth is one that we can come to believe, it's one that we can come to rely on, and it's one that we can come to live our lives by. And we know that ultimately this truth is found in Jesus because Jesus himself is truth. He is completely dependable. He is completely reliable. And He is the one that we have to come to listen to, to understand ourselves, to understand the world, and to understand God. So as we start today, in this series, the next six weeks, exploring this relationship between truth and lies, I just want to ask and have you ask a basic, basic, basic question about you. It's not, am I deceived? But in what ways am I deceived? How do my temptations, my struggles, my doubts, my fears, my anxieties, my stress, how do my conflict, my bitterness, and the struggles I have at work, how do those things maybe trace back to some lies that I've come to believe about myself, about the world, and about God? As I start to understand those things, see those things, may I then start to live in the truth that has been revealed to me in Jesus. Let's pray together. And so, Father, as we begin this. I'm serious today, we, we read your words about how there is one who is the father of lies, a murderer from the beginning, one who's seeking to destroy us and keep us from faith and life in you. Uh, we come to the basic uh, understanding with humility that all of us are susceptible to deception. And that from the very beginning, there is one who has been seeking to deceive us. His lies are subtle and yet they come at us from all different angles. As we come through this series, would you help us to live with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to come to see ourselves correctly, to see the world correctly, and to see you correctly. As we grow in knowledge, we, we be diligent to, to seek out the truth and not deception in order to follow you and to find you and to then be set free in order to live a life that pleases you. We thank you that you are the truth that you are completely dependable and reliable. We can take you at your word. So may we be those who trust in you. I pray for anyone who's with us today and doesn't know the hope of the truth that is in Jesus. May we offer just a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life as I seek to live a life that honors you and seeks after you and lives in the truth of the gospel. It is in your name that we pray today, amen. Thank you for listening to a Schweitzer podcast. We hope you found this message to be helpful and encouraging. If you enjoyed this experience, please remember to share us with your friends and neighbors. Thanks again for stopping by and remember, you are loved.